Thank you for listening to season two of Spotless, Breaking the Boundaries of Television. Presented by two media powerhouses, Triple Lift and Advertising Week, Spotless brings you in-depth conversations with the leaders who are driving this evolution. So, you know, listen up. Evolution, we came from monkeys, now we're humans. Who knows where we are next? You're going to learn something on this podcast. Kevin McGurn is Vivo's president of sales and distribution based in New York. He joined Vivo from Fullscreen, where he served as head of sales for the company, as well as Otter Media properties, including Crunchyroll, Roster Teeth, Soompi TV, and VRV. Prior to Fullscreen, Kevin was chief revenue officer of Shazam. He previously served as senior vice president of sales at Hulu for nearly seven years, where he grew the sales team from zero to half a billion dollars in advertising revenue. Kevin has also held prior senior roles at NBC Universal and DoubleClick. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on season two of Spotless. We're so excited to have you as a guest. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So for starters, Kev, I wonder if you might give us a little bit more detail into that impressive career that you've built. Um, a lot of the listeners to Spotless are kind of people that are coming up in the industry. And I wonder if you might inform them about how you built your career and like the kind of different signals that you look for along the path. Yeah, for sure. No, and I appreciate the kind words, uh, not necessary, but um, yeah, I, I got into the business uh, over 20 years ago, actually in print at, uh, at Time Inc. for Fortune magazine and pretty quickly transitioned into the internet business at the end of the 90s and went into rich media, you know, kind of uh, interactive advertising and a lot of technology that was trying to solve for uh, discrepancies in bandwidth and low bandwidth situations for people to get better and richer advertising experiences. So, you know, was was thrown into the world of management and sales and built my career around um, relationships with advertising agencies and ultimately got to the investment side of the business, uh, wherein we were negotiating upfronts and you know, kind of a disruptor of a lot of the the linear and traditional businesses that um, that had been, you know, that, that had been native to the upfront cycle, and you know, with Hulu, of course, um, we were able to kind of reinvent the way that TV was bought, and have carried those practices and, and business cases through to a couple of different companies, including here at Vivo. Thanks for that, Kevin. Let's talk about Vivo. So Vivo is going through a kind of shift in, in consumption patterns. So mobile has been the dominant screen for Vivo until somewhat recently with the shift in content consumption, perhaps accelerated during the pandemic. Um, in just the past year and a half, Vivo's presence in the CTV space has skyrocketed with close to 50% of Vivo's business now coming from CTV. Can you tell us about the role that CTV plays in Vivo's future? Yeah, sure. I mean, if we go back even before the pandemic, probably three years ago, we started to see a trend from uh, you know, from the consumers themselves uh, shifting into watching music videos again on televisions, predominantly through the YouTube app. And we also had other television apps that were in play at the time on Roku and Apple TV and uh, eventually Amazon as well. And I think, you know, we were we were watching it very closely. We saw a reciprocal relationship and a decline of desktop viewership um, showing back up on TV. And that has been the trend that, you know, not just Vivo specific, but you've seen through other content providers and other platforms, inclusive of YouTube uh, over the last few years. So we capitalized on that quite a bit. Uh, we developed a strategy to diversify our distribution 
to create a ubiquitous distribution strategy and hopefully capturing eyeballs of viewers that you know we're showing up on televisions in different ways um, like i mentioned starting with with applications and vod applications and then going into free ad supported streaming television so we could have the neighborhoods that people were frequenting um, be populated with music videos as a genre and that would be one of their content choices when they were going in trying to figure out what to watch um, you know, that was driven certainly by the consumers itself, but also by the advertisers as well, you know, with a big desire to try to capture dollars coming out of you know, the shrinkage in ratings points in, in linear television and showing back up in more IP delivered TV channels and services. So, you know, it was a it was a perfect storm of opportunity. And, you know, like I said, we were following consumers, not necessarily manufacturing this along the way. But we were able to capitalize on on the trends that the marketplace presented us and also the demand that the advertising industry was offering at the time. I saw a lot of messaging around CTV in the new fronts messaging that Vivo put out in the marketplace. There's been a lot of speculation about the transformation in the upfront. Obviously, Vivo now comes in as a network that's posing an alternative, right, to the decline in ratings points in the traditional linear. Can you talk about the importance of the upfront as a whole to your strategy? Yeah, our goal in the upfront um, and, you know, the, the new front presentation that we presented was to try to be an entrant into the into the business of TV and one that was organically, you know, welcomed, right? You know, so music television had been around for well before Vivo was ever invented. Um, but we wanted to make sure that that, you know, that rightful place in the upfront conversation, that that audience and that genre of content were welcomed back from that 12-month investment cycle. Um, it was led by the viewership, as I mentioned, the inventory that we went out to market with predominantly here in the U.S., was on a 50-50 on a split, right? So 50% on televisions guaranteeing the screen and the audience, and then 50%, you know, more digitally driven. And, uh, you know, that was led by mobile. So, you know, we've had that business for quite some time. You know, we rode up with the big rise of mobile um, led by YouTube throughout the 2010s. And, you know, we, we enjoyed that diversification of viewership, that wide reach, you know, that, that very low frequency that that viewer typically represents. And with television, we're getting much longer session times. We're getting much more interesting engagement, you know, with regards to the performance of the advertising itself. Uh, and we're capitalizing on that in the upfront with not just inventory and audience, but also more innovative ad packaging, more addressability, if you will, um, and, and levels of original content that you know, we probably haven't seen for quite some time in the music video genre. All very exciting stuff. I want to tease out a, a couple of them. So as a response, you, know, you talked about sales packaging. You've launched two ad targeting tools, one called Moods and Vivo Rewind. Can you tell us a little bit about these products and how they're being perceived by advertisers? Yeah, we go about our, our product design um, through a couple of interesting ways. One is through our data science team um, that dives into all of the viewership that we have and, and the metadata associated with these videos and just tries to find interesting trends. Um, we've done everything from sleeper hits, uh, which was you know kind of a, a velocity trend for how music becomes popular and the videos become popular with it, um, to moods, as you said, uh, which is really capitalizing on the obvious, right? You know, what kind of mood does that music video present you or what kind of mood are you in when you select to watch that music video? And does that align with the brand's, um, you, know, you know, messaging and their creative? 
and how that will be, you know, a more engaged audience because of that assimilation of those two things, the content and the adjacent advertising. So um, we continue with ad products, you know, starting with our premieres um, and, and the, the prime time sort of uh, products that we put out there that are in very high demand that sell out literally within hours, not days uh, of our you know, awareness of their release. And then we go into lots of other ad products like our multicultural products, um, you know, capitalizing on the diversity of listeners and, and watchers of, of music videos. And I think, you know, we've been able to present those to advertisers and agencies, much like, you know, you saw previously in, in the linear world of multiple networks representing a you know, sort of proxy for what that audience might be. Um, we are all those networks wrapped into one. And we present them back to the advertisers and the agencies in a way that they can consume. And, and obviously, they are they are voting with their dollars. And, and the reach that we present in those audiences and the, and the very relatively low frequency gives them a very efficient way to come at our uh, our genre and our audience. That's really well said. Um, obviously, tools like that can help during a time where we're moving towards a cookie-less future, there's deprecation of the third-party cookie. How are you talking to advertising clients about that future? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think that Vivo is a general audience product that finds its way into niche through, you know, through content proxies, right? And we're not reliant on cookies uh, pretty much at all in the way that we approach the marketplace and sell our advertising. If there is data that an advertiser wants to apply to our inventory, they can bring that in as a first party and we can run that programmatically uh, and we can run it across all of our different inventory sets, be it on YouTube or off. And I think that's a really interesting way to approach it. Just you know, fr from a data standpoint, the owner of that data has the most license to use it. Um, we're not co-opting other people's cookie data. Um, and we're looking at new ways to you know, basically to target people and to find addressability that's non-PII. Um, and that's, you know, that's either the platform that we're, we're distributing on. Uh, and we do use a lot of great data that comes through the, the, you know, the YouTube and Google platform. Um, and then we're also looking at other forms of data uh, from a third-party syndicated, um, you know, measurement criteria, we use both uh, Nielsen and then T-Vision and iSpot TV. Um, so that's a lot of the measurement that we offer out there for those audiences, but it also get, becomes more granular. T-Vision is a great service that we've been in, in business with for a few years now that gives you co-viewing metrics. So not just uh, that one person's watching music videos, but how many people are in the room and watching music videos. And also, are they attentive? Are they actually looking at the screen at the time that the music video is and the advertisement is running? So, you know, we're more of a lean in on data. We're more of a lean in on measurement. We're not really trying to protect any legacy businesses or worried about, you know, what that measurement criteria might afford us in terms of statistics. And I think that's a benefit when we go out to the advertisers. We're willing to trade in different types of currencies and offer them, you know, different expansions on their audiences through these targeting capabilities that many others might not, you know, that they, that they might be worried about finding too niche of an audience or not being able to uphold a premium CPM, uh, given the transparency that we allow. We've seen brand safety serve as a barrier for many content providers, but Vivo's music-focused offering appears to be pretty immune. What makes music specifically such a good environment for advertisers? I think it's a few things. Um, first and foremost, 
music videos lived on television for you know, 35, 40 years. And so all of those videos were rated. Um, and we went through the process probably four years ago now, of really grinding on a brand safety metric that we felt good about, that we felt the the advertising community was going to was going to embrace. And and we really went back to our roots in television. Um, we developed criteria, you know, 21 points of rating, um, looking for various types of, uh, you know, starting with the lyrics themselves, and then going to the imagery and the videos, um, and, and sort of cascading through a number of other um, you know, if then statements to get you to brand safety ratings. And we look at our, you know, we look at our content and more than 80% of our content is PG-14 or better. Um, we were actually able to target the hip hop genre, which by and large from a lot of advertisers and a lot of, you know, a lot of categories of advertising was being excluded entirely. And if you look at that genre, that was a that was a bad representation of you know what was available to these advertisers in a brand safe way. And certainly, some of the most popular music on uh, on the planet uh, was being excluded um, for no real good reason, honestly. So we went back through the process of rating that content and uh, and found almost 70% of that content um, is brand safe. And so we were able to expand a lot of different sell-through rates. Uh, we were able to uphold premium CPMs. We were able to, you know, monetize content and, and deliver, you know, revenue back to the labels and the artists that created it um, in ways that hadn't been done in a very long time. And, and brand safety was all core to that. And that was something that we focused on quite a bit. And, um, and we, 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 like I said, we grinded on it with the agencies. It was, you know, it was an uphill battle for sure. But, you know, compared to the rest of the content that's out there, um, you know, on a lot of these channels um, or, or, you know, through YouTube itself, we actually see every video before it goes live. You know, we're actually able to look at these things from a corporate standpoint, starting with the labels um, after the managers and the artists themselves pass through the supply chain. And when they go out onto our network and a fully distributed network um, you know, through our content management system, we are we're placing the right data against it. We're looking at all the lyrics. We're looking at all the images. We're looking at the themes, um, and we're able to categorize these things in ways that are so much more granular than they ever had been. You know, in just a 24/7 linear playout, um, and it gives advertisers a lot of optionality for what they want to choose and how it integrates with their creative message, um, and then what audience you're ultimately reaching. And we measure it. Kudos to you and the team, Kevin, for taking such a data-driven approach to informing advertisers about the offering. As the audience transforms from being the dominant kind of footprint on YouTube to CTV and other areas, what are the other kind of misconceptions, uh, either amongst the advertising community, marketers in general, that you're trying to overcome? You know, I, I wouldn't say it's a misconception, but I think there's a lot of decisions that are being made with the agencies and the advertisers as to who owns these various screens and the types of content and how that content is is identified. Is it short form? Is it long form? Is it is it digital network? Is it a linear network? And for us, is it VOD? Is it is it you know 24/7 linear channel? This doesn't matter. These are not appropriate questions to ask, in my in in my opinion. This is video. It is a sight, sound, and motion of delivery. It is guaranteed to a screen. Um, it is measured by a series of third-party, you know, uh, syndicated researchers. And for us, the performance that we put out there speaks for itself. So we, you know, we would rather not, you know, delve into the 
the, the different buckets that agencies and advertisers struggle with trying to you know find a budget that would apply to us um, and we would rather just sell efficiency and sell effectiveness and that's exactly what we're doing we're selling large reach we're selling super premium content we're selling you know stardom you know the fandom uh, around these artists the the most recognizable faces and names in the world and we're selling cultural moments as well uh, the zeitgeist that comes through and has for you know literally decades with music videos and the artists that that uh, that produce them, it cannot be underestimated. You can't get a more culturally relevant set of content than we put out um, on a weekly basis. We get brand new content every single week, and that's the one thing that we really focused on last year in our new front, and, and did again this year is that we're always on. We're never postponed. We're never canceled. So the seasonality doesn't exist. You don't have to think about the fall premieres and the and the spring finales. Music videos come through our door every single week. And that is the newest content that you can find. And it can be produced on a relatively you know, small scale in terms of the personnel that's involved and a relatively small budget you know, compared to a television show. But on a minute by minute basis, the production quality that are being put into music videos is that of Game of Thrones could be upwards of a million dollars a minute to make a music video. And so, you know, th those are things that we constantly reinforce because I think the absence of the music video from the television landscape for that 15 years or so um, needed to be, you know, recovered. It, that, that perception needed to be, re uh, you know, a reminder to everyone as to what the power of cultural content like music videos can afford you as an advertiser. And some of the biggest brands in the world uh, are with us as partners and uh, and have sorted through it but we want to expand we want to diversify we want to grow both national local multicultural um you know uh, programmatic obviously our connected television business is booming and we think that we have a rightful place in every single line of those budgets i totally agree and it's great to hear you speak about it with such passion kevin um so given that you are really kind of at the forefront of the cultural zeitgeist you're the dominant player in music and music videos. Who do you now perceive as your competitors? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, anybody taking money out of the advertising market for, you know, for connected screens or for mobile screens, we're going to compete with. Um, it's really more of a market share. And what we try to compete with is, is our relative scale. Um, we're looking for, you know, top tier cable networks, we're looking for, you know, broadcast network revenue, we're looking for digital revenue. Um, so we compete, you know, sort of widely across the board with some of the best content in the world, right? News, sports, entertainment, be it scripted or unscripted, dramas or comedies. And that's how we talk about our business. And that's how our business has been talked about for decades before we even got here. Um, but we are looking at it demographically as well. We represent a different demography than certainly traditional television or even the modern television and the viewership that um, that some of these more digital providers are presenting. We, if you look at our 18 to 49, we look a lot more like 18 to 34 and that 18 to 49. And you know, we will always represent the youthful side of of demographics, and we will always represent you know kind of a faster mover shaker. Um, really hard to reach people on TV. These are not folks that watch TV in traditional ways any longer or ever had in the first place. So that kind of cord never cord cutter um, demographic. And, you know, that's been a fun thing to go out to market with because the stark contrast in what traditional television and the buyers have been getting 
over the last decade or really almost two decades now um, and the shrinkage of rating points and the aging of the audience, um, we are, we're the polar opposite of that, right? You know, we are a youthful, growing, affluent audience that's super hard to reach through traditional means. Kevin, you talked about a, a few different pools of revenue that you're pulling on, whether it be kind of the broadcast pool or the traditional programmatic pool. One of the things that we've been tracking on the podcast here is evolution on the agency side, on the, on the, the media buyer side, where a lot of CTV investment is coming from traditional linear, finding its way over to CTV, orchestrated out of what are sometimes called video investment teams. Could you talk about how you talk to, to, to programmatic teams, how you talk to video investment teams, how you, how you square the two? Yeah, I'll give a lot of credit to our team and the way that they canvass these, uh, the agency holding groups that we, we transact with. And they really go in on a consultative basis and try to find out how your agency is organizing. And each agency does it a little bit differently, to be honest, and, and they have the reasons for doing so. It's not really our job to question how they're, how they're delineating their budgets, but it is our job to get the maximum amount of share and the representative amount of audience uh, that, they can, that they can buy into in front of them in a way that you know, I think is efficient for them and makes them look good for their clients and honestly performs and sells products and services at the end of the day for their advertisers. So um, it, it is all over the map, to be honest. Uh, it is um, something that I think we're not the only folks uh, out there trying to solve for on, a, on an agency by agency basis. And we do get a lot of questions actually from the agencies themselves. Who do you like? Who do you like? Who does it right? You know, where are the places that, uh, that that we fall down? Where are the places that we're winning? And we offer feedback and, you know, we're certainly, like I said, consultative along those lines in those conversations. But um, I think a good brand and, you know, a, a, a content set like ours and a, and, a, and a team like the one that we have out in the field, they they represent something that I think is harder you know, to compete with, um, they they represent thoughtfulness. They represent honesty. They represent you know frugality in terms of the way that we ask for for dollars and the the way that we spend them. You know, in terms of how we fill the inventory, and that's always been the way that we go to market. You know, we're we're nice people. Uh, we have a lot of fun in what we do, and at the end of the day, no matter who you're talking to at an agency, if you project fun, people will want to buy from you. And it's easy to do when music is the subject matter, um, both as a, a consumer, one of the most exciting evolutions, the continued evolutions over at Vivo, both as a you know, music consumer, music fam, um, is the advent of Vivo Originals. Um, can you talk a little bit about how marketers are perceiving that offering? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, we've always had premieres and the, those are the ultimate original, right? You know, uh, but our Vivo studio and the original content that our crew specifically um, produces is top notch. I mean, uh, represented by our you know, official live performances, what we call OLPs. Um, we've had some incredible work that's been done by our team and we've gone out there and presented to advertisers and it sells right away. You know, these are franchises that these folks have built up over years. Um, and then looked at the platforms that we're distributing on and then started to hone them perfectly for these platforms of distribution, starting with YouTube and then going into you know, kind of our network of connected television, how we program, how we you know, engage with the artists, the, the concept art that we present them to start that ultimately you know, dovetails into the productions from our team. 
And these are brilliant people that are highly creative, that just have a work product that is a very, very high quality bar that they present. And the advertisers, you know, vote with their dollars to 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 buy into it and to be associated with artists like, you know, The Weeknd and Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande and a, and a whole bunch more to come. And so, you know, yes, you're representing their stardom. Yes, you're representing their latest work. Um, but more so in the in the official live performance, you're representing the live nature of the music and the video that the artist really wants. And it's not just a late night performance with maybe some tough audio or a, a mobile phone grab of a of a performance at a at a you know at an outdoor arena that doesn't have great audio. These are the combination of music video like imagery, but live performance, actual singing, actual instruments being played, and that's a cool thing. You know that that's something that's very hard to replicate. And we've found uh, we found a really cool niche going out there and, and and working with artists and the feedback we get from the artists themselves, which honestly is probably the most important thing. It is to die for. Um, you know, if you go on and you go into the Twitter sphere and you start to look up what the consumers and the fans are saying, it's even better. Uh, so if you if you can you know if you can super serve a fan and the fans are the toughest critics of other people you know engaging with their artists. If you can super serve that fan, you're doing a great job and their feedback will go miles, particularly with the advertising community. That's well said and super cool. Can you give us um, maybe a sneak peek of anything that's upcoming on, on Vivo Originals that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, we can't ever say, you know, the artists that we're working with, but we can say that they are enormous. The OLP, the feedback that we've gotten from the artists already who we've worked with, it goes, you know, the, the right word is it goes viral, but it goes viral within their community. They talk to their friends and their friends are superstars and they will they will tell people about their experience with Vivo. And that goes a really long way. And obviously the labels and the managers are uh, are you know definitely a network that taps into high quality and, and great experiences. And they want to replicate those for their other artists in, in their stable. So, um, you know, I'm sure Dot and Evelyn can give you a couple uh, a couple teasers on what might be coming. But yeah, we typically keep it pretty close to the vest. Uh, we try to shield those artists and, and really make it pop in the premieres of these big originals uh, once they go live. Okay, duly noted. So, Kevin, I want to shift gears slightly. In the last year, we've seen a long overdue increase in social awareness, and we've made a commitment on this podcast to continue to talk about the subject matter. Vivo obviously has a really strong voice out in the marketplace and particularly through the artists where you have relationship. Can you share more about Vivo's efforts around elevating Black artists and your commitment to kind of amplifying underrepresented voices? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we already touched on, um, you know, kind of the brand safety issues that uh, that that hip hop and rap had experienced over the years and, and really cutting through that with just with just data and rigor around the ratings and, and really presenting that back to advertisers and making sure that they were aware of any bias that might be presented when you're eliminating that type of genre. Um, and, and to be honest, every single advertiser that we work with immediately responded, totally understood what we were saying, and have actually, you know, really dove in headfirst to monetize those videos. In general, I mean, Vivo and the music industry is a very diverse place. Um, we've just started a partnership with Ad Color, which was originally an advertising uh, a specific diversity play um, and organization and has dovetailed into the music industry as well. Um, so it's a, 
it's tailor made really for Vivo to be uh, to be a big supporter. Um, as we sit right in the middle of the media and the music industry, our CEO sits on the board. So it's it's a great um, you know endeavor for us to start to find um, diverse employees, bring them into our business, you know, train them, elevate them through the executive ranks. Uh, and, and really, you know, be representative of the artists that that come through our doors with their music videos, and that we're remitting, you know, royalties and, and payments back to. We are offering multicultural packages, including, you know, one one of the newer ones called Afro Pulse. Um, we have our Somos Vivo, uh, which targets uh, the Latinx community and does so not just in the genre of content, but also in the geography of populations and the browser language setting. Um, so we are looking at both the, the digital side of our targeting as well as the content side of our targeting to make sure that we're hitting um, you know, the right audiences for advertisers when they have those specific multicultural budgets to make them the most effective and efficient places to, to display their message. Um, and then in general, you know, we're trying to be representative of the music industry as a, as a whole, um, remitting you know, as much of our royalties back to them as possible and making sure that all of their content is is front and center um, in the height of its diversity and the height of its creativity um, and, and ultimately the message that they represent, which is which is often, you know, very inspirational and very of the moment. Uh, and, and that's our job. You know, we have to get those messages out to people in as broad a fashion as we can and uh, and monetize them in the best possible way that we can as well. It's great stuff, Kevin, and thank you. Kevin, we usually like to end our conversation with a prediction. And since our, the, you know, the subject matter of our podcast is really around the future of television, I'll ask you, looking forward, like maybe five years from now, based on all of the growth of Vivo, the data, the trends that you, you talked about earlier and that you're seeing, what do you think the, the TV industry looks like five years from now? Yeah, through the lens of the music video, I can say for certain that you haven't seen the best of what music television can offer yet. And, you know, it it is our tagline for our new front, you know, music television like it was meant to be. But we're really on the front end of that. We have video on demand that is capitalizing on search and discovery and recommendation that the Internet has provided all these great smart televisions and their services. Then we have linear, which is still in super high demand, our ability to taste make, to program, to have folks, you know, dive in deep with the 80s, with the 90s, with pop, with country. And what I think you'll find the prediction of the future is that those two things continue to intersect, wherein you get the opportunity to maybe search and discover at the onset and then lean back and let that recommendation engine of programming take over. And really, at the end of the day, have your own TRL. You know, something that is very specific to you that you can look around your neighborhood and have every single television set on and every single person watching music videos at that time on that channel. But it's totally different experiences and personalized for each person. And I think that's the cool part. You know, music is such a personal endeavor. It's such a passion point. And the music videos are so much more immersive, you know, in terms of the message that that artist wants to portray, not just about the song itself or the lyrics, but about the imagery that they envisioned when they were you know, when they were writing that song, when they were you know writing the music. And I think you know having that displayed in front of you in a much more dynamic way is the best possible music television that we could offer. And we want to do that not just here in the US, but we want to do it globally. My prediction is that you know this becomes a global music television network, that we have this ability to go out there with global licenses and bring music videos to the world in a way that remits 
not just joy of viewership, but also a, a different component, a burgeoning, you know, opportunity for the music industry itself and for the television industry, frankly, to have this super powerful genre of content back at the at the top of that food chain. And, you know, we think that there's plenty of other types of content that will go that direction as well. I'm a big fan of esports and e-gaming. I think that's going to be huge. You know, you mentioned selling fun stuff. Uh, I used to sell some of that. That's pretty cool. And then loved all of the comedies and dramas and, and scripted and unscripted that we used to sell at Hulu and this untethering of, you know, of content to make it borderless and to make it, you know, accessible from all points uh, of the planet. And I think that's what we're trying to do, you know, that we're, we're representing the promotional and commercial value of the music video. I think that increases the value of every other television program that you can find. And, uh, and frankly, I think it's probably the most diverse content uh, that, that's offered with the, with the largest possible choice. So we're psyched about the innovation. There's a lot more to come, um, but you know, at it, it, it the, at the moment, we're so super focused on closing our upfronts and, uh, and and getting our programming up and running, you know, in these really dynamic ways across all these new services, and really just taking advantage of all the technology that they have to offer. Um, that's that's our goal, and and we're we're kind of sticking to it. Well, good luck with that. It's certainly an exciting future for fans that you've just described there. Kevin, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you so much for joining us on the Spotless Podcast. Really great stuff. And uh, best of luck to you and the whole team at Vivo. Thanks so much, Michael. You're the best. And thanks again for having us.